Well, as we all know, Christmas is often a time to fight. Christmas is often a time of conflict. We don't always get what we want for Christmas, do we? And so when we don't get what we want, we can lash out. We can become consumed with our hurt. We can give in to complaining and arguing. How often are the gifts that we give one another cold shoulders, relational neglect, judgmental thoughts, or even a sharp word? Many of you will remember in the 1990 Christmas classic, Home Alone, when Kevin spills the soda, tells everyone in his family that he hates them, and it seems like that that holiday gathering has been ruined, Uncle Frank says to his nephew, look what you did, you little jerk. <laughs> it's a tense and funny scene all at the same time, uh, and, but if we're honest, I think we can all relate at times to Uncle Frank and to Kevin. No matter your age, we all want something for Christmas. Maybe that something is something tangible. You would love some Apple AirPods. But even if what we want isn't something that can be wrapped and placed under a Christmas tree, we all have expectations and hopes for this time of year. And those expectations, those hopes, those desires have a wonderful way of clashing with other people's hopes and expectations and desires. Sparks fly and conflict can often ensue. Yes, even on Christmas, our homes, our lives, our world are often riddled with conflict. Wars don't go on break for Christmas. Crime doesn't take the day off on Christmas. And try as we might, we are not always able to hold back that relational strife or tension that can often ruin an otherwise lovely family Christmas dinner. Even the church is not immune from conflict. Not that I necessarily expect you to get into a fight with someone here at church today, uh, but even in a church family, we can hold grudges. We can think unkind thoughts about the people who are even sitting around us. And we may not be super excited if we find ourselves having an extended conversation with certain people here, lest they ruin our Christmas. How's this so far for an Ebenezer Scrooge Christmas introduction? <laughs> In a world of conflict, though, God's Word, thankfully, has some Christmas cheer and hope for us this morning. To find it, we're going to go back around 2,000 years, not all the way back to the birth of Christ, but about 50 years later, when the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to a church in the city of Philippi. From what we can tell, the early church didn't celebrate Christmas, but maybe the members of the church thought that now that they were followers of King Jesus and that they had been gathered together in a church, this church had been planted by the Apostle Paul himself, that life was just going to be amazing. 
It's going to be like Christmas every Sunday that they get to gather. But then reality set in for the church in Philippi. The Apostle Paul left, and then they heard he was in prison, and then they started having trouble getting along, and then some false teachers started coming in, telling them that they had to become Jewish to be truly Christian. You know, perhaps the church in Philippi felt something of what we often do at this time of year. Following Jesus is a nice idea, but let's just try to survive. Let's just get through it. Maybe even some in this church were tempted to give up and pack it in. And unlike Christmas, being a church together is an ongoing and a thing. And at a certain point, you have to face the music if it's not working out, if it's not working for you. Well, it's into this context that Paul writes the letter to the Philippians. And in it, he encourages them with great joy, even in trying times. He wants them to know an otherworldly, supernatural joy that isn't idealistic, that isn't just silver lining, but a reality because of what Christ has done and the new mind and heart that he has given them. So this morning, we want to turn to the heart of that message and the heart of the letter of Philippians. So I'd invite you to turn now to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. I'd encourage you to follow along. You can use the, the Black Pew Bibles in front of you. You can find that on page 1041, 1041, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Listen as I read from God's word. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, Christmas and all of life may continue to be haunted by conflict, but this morning I pray that you, that we will see that the joy of Christmas is found in humility. The joy of Christmas is found in humility. First, we're going to wonder at the one humbled for us. The one humbled for us. And then second, we will be challenged by how we are humbled before him. The joy of Christmas is humility. The one humbled for us and how we are humbled before him. Let's first consider the one who is humbled for us. Look with me again at chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. 
adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. If anyone was entitled to a great Christmas, it was Christ, right? Sure, he eventually got some gold, frankincense, and myrrh from some random dudes from the East. But Christmas was not about what Christ got, but what he gave. Consider with me here in verses 6 through 8 what they tell us about what God gave up. Look at Philippians 2.6. Here we see that Christ Jesus, though God, did not take advantage of his godness to serve himself. Just to be clear, when Paul says that Christ Jesus was existing in the form of God, he doesn't mean that Jesus is like God's shadow. He's not a cheap imitation of the real thing. Jesus is not like, I can't believe it's not butter slash God. No, Jesus is fully God. That's why Paul writes that he didn't consider the equality he had with God as something to be exploited or taken advantage of. Certainly, if you just read the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, we see this rings true. Jesus had to have been God. Who else could calm the sea, heal the sick, raise the dead? This was a man who not only had the power of God, he was God. I mean, this is what the demons understood. This is what the religious leaders understood. This is what the apostles and all the believers would come to, to believe and trust in. And what we see in the Gospels is that Jesus is not using his divine authority, his divine ambition to serve himself. No, he came not to be served, but to serve. Again and again, that's what we're seeing. This is no ordinary man. And that's what we see in these next couple of verses, right? Instead of taking advantage of his divinity, it was his ambition to empty himself. He didn't empty himself of his divinity. He emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. We're just getting started. But right away in these first two verses, we already see the wonder of Christmas and the mystery. Jesus didn't just appear to be God. He was God, is God, and will always be God. He is always existing as God. And at the same time, he assumed the form of a servant when he was born in the likeness of humanity. Not just appearing to be human, but really becoming human. He was really a human. If you don't believe me, look at verse 8. And when he had come as a man, and when he had come as a man. So what do we see that Christmas is telling us about what God is like so far in these verses? Well, God isn't in it to win it for himself. God didn't send his son into the world as a high and a mighty ruler. He didn't make himself immune from the hardships of being a human. Christ Jesus fully emptied himself when humanity 
was added to his divinity. God the Son in the person of Jesus Christ really did cry. He really did grow tired. He got sick. He was dependent upon a human mother and father. It's amazing. The ancient of days, the one who gives us breath right now, became like us in every way but without sin. This is the wonder and mystery of Christmas. Lest we forget it. Lest we forget what this is all about. The celebration of the incarnation is the celebration of Emmanuel, God with us. You know, we got to admit that this reality doesn't fully fit into our brains. We cannot fully comprehend it. But this is what the Bible consistently teaches. God the Son humbled himself and became one of us. You know, we, this is contrary to the way that we, we tend to think. We don't expect people who live in mansions in West Lynn to move downtown and live in a broken-down van. We don't expect people who live in Silicon Valley to move to the slums in Brazil or India and live in a cardboard box for their retirement. And yet this is something of what God the Son did times a billion. And he didn't just do it like as a short-term mission trip. He didn't just become a man for 30 years and then call it, call it good, did his time. No, at Christmas, in the incarnation, humanity was joined to the Godhead forever. If that's not mysterious and amazing enough, there's more. Wait, there's more. The final turn on our path to discover the mindset of Christ is found in, at the end of verse 7 and in verse 8. And when he had become a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Friends, is this what you think about when you celebrate Christmas? Humility, obedience, death. You know, I, I don't want to diminish the joy and the wonder of Christmas, but it was Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, who claimed the cross alone is our theology. Christmas is the introduction, the setup for Good Friday. Christ was born to die. Now, this is what the author Michael Reeves says in his excellent book that I will recommend in every sermon, if possible, (laughs) Uh, Rejoicing in Christ. You can find it on the bookstall, by the way. This is what Michael Reeves says in his book, Rejoicing in Christ. Listen, it's a little bit of a longer quote. After all, If the one nailed to the cross truly is Emmanuel, God with us, then we desperately need to rethink what God is like. What kind of God is this who would bleed and die for us? 
This is not the kind of supreme being I naturally imagine when my mind goes gallivanting. Settled cozily in my armchair, I tend to assume that God must be rather like me. Bigger and better, I concede, but basically like me. Me on cosmic steroids. Then I see the cross, and it is like a defibrillator for the mind. In light of what we see here in Philippians 2, 6 through 8, how do you need to rethink what God is like? You know, I assume that in a room this size that not all of you believe in God. Uh, And you need to know, if you do not believe in God, you are always welcome here at this church. Uh, You don't need to be embarrassed to come to church Uh, If this is who you are, uh, we appreciate your your honesty with yourself and given the right opportunity with us. Um, All too often, the church is a place of hypocrisy and dishonesty. We, you know, people in the church often say they believe in God, but then they go out and live life as though they don't really believe in him. So I just want to take a minute to thank our atheist, our agnostic friends, our friends who come from other religions, as Bible-believing Christians, we find your honesty refreshing. You, you are welcome here. And simply what I want to do with this passage is simply be honest with what Scripture claims about the true meaning of Christmas, about who God is in the person of Jesus Christ. As I read earlier, as we've been considering, we see the progression in verses 6 through 8, right? Christmas leads to the cross. Christmas inevitably leads to the cross. So, do you see how different God is in this text than we tend to assume? And do you see how different God is than us? Do you see how different God is than you? There's quite the contrast here. We hang on to our rights. He empties them. We celebrate pride. He humbles himself. We fight for ourselves and insist on being right. He died for us. And he died for the proud. He died for his enemies. This man challenges you. He challenges me to come to an end of ourself this morning. I don't think it's an accident, right, that our response to the one who humbled himself for us must be one of humility. In order to repent and believe, the Lord has to give you a humble heart. You cannot come to him in your pride. I know from personal experience that Sometimes my intellectual objections to the things of Christ are often just a cover for my pride. So, I beg you today to face the reality of what the scriptures are saying about Christmas and the cross. And and use this time, even now, as an opportunity as we look at God's word together, to pour contempt on all your pride, to be honest with yourself, and then consider 
Will you come to him? Christ doesn't invite the, the, the righteous, the healthy, those who think they have it all together, who think, oh yeah, I'm a pretty good person compared to the people maybe sitting around me or the people in my family. No, he invites all to come to him. Those who, who have no money, uh, those who recognize their, their pride in their heart, the ways that they have contributed to the conflict around them, he says, come. Don't clean up your life first, but come to me, proud sinners who are in need of this humble gift of grace. You know, if you are, are someone who would be interested in exploring more at what the Bible says, what Scripture says about who Jesus is, who God is in the person of Jesus Christ, we would love to talk to you more about that. I'll be standing down front here at the end of the service. I'm sure the people around you would love to talk to you about nothing more than how you can come to an end of your pride to take God's side against your sin and trust in this humble king who came so that we might know the forgiveness of our sins and the hope of eternal life. The gospel message of Christianity and the hope of Christmas, though, doesn't end here. All will one day see the king who is crucified and recognize that he alone is Lord. So that's what brings us to our second and our final point this morning. Number two, humbled before him. Listen to how God the Father responds to the humble obedience of his son in verses 9 through 11. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You know, it's because of the cross that God the Father crowns the Son with the name that is above every name. This is what the Father gives the Son, so to speak. I don't think my kids would be too thrilled if I told them that for Christmas I was going to be giving them all new names. But I don't think that's exactly what's going on here. When God the Son ascended into heaven after rising from the dead, a human being entered heaven. Our representative is entering heaven. The God-man was there and God the Father gave God the Son the highest name in heaven or on earth. He highly exalted him. And I'm speaking past tense. This already happened. Just, just consider, as we sit here right now, something much better than Christmas is being celebrated in heaven. The, the heavens are roaring with praise. They can't get over the, the joy of what this eternal Son has accomplished by humbling himself and redeeming a people by his blood on the cross. They are worshiping the most mighty beings ever created. The cherubim and the seraphim and the angels cannot get over the glory of this son. And our passage here says that the Father's given the son a new name. Well, what's up with this new name? Well, Paul quotes here Isaiah 45, as we heard earlier, to reveal what he means. God tells us in Isaiah 45, 18, for I am the Lord. This is God. This is Yahweh talking. He says, for I am the Lord and there is no other. Verse 22 of Isaiah 45. I am God and there is no other. 
So in Isaiah 45, it's clear that there is no God but the God of Israel. There is no Lord but him. And then the Apostle Paul comes along in Philippians 2. And he says, yep, that Lord and God is Jesus Christ. And Paul says that it's just a matter of time until the earth is humbled by this heavenly reality. On that day that is coming, some will be humiliated. As Ashley said earlier, some will be put to shame for how they lived their lives in pride, confident that they were right and God's revelation was wrong. All those will be humbled, though, on that day and fall to their knees and confess with their mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord, that God's revelation was true. And they will confess that to their great regret. Philippians 2, 10 through 11 is not teaching universal salvation. So we pray in this church that not a man, woman, or child in this room will know that eternal regret and judgment of God. But that they would humble themselves today. Because on that day that we see here in verses 10 and 11, the humble will worship the Son, and that worship will go on for joyful eternity. According to verse 11, the one who came in humility into this world and rose again in victory, did you see how he's, he's reigning to glorify his Father? Even as the exalted king, he does it for the glory of the Father, just as the Spirit, God the Spirit, works to glorify the Son. So, here's our question for us today. Does this reality change what we do today? You know, we, we prepare today for Christmas tomorrow. But are we preparing for this day? It is certain. Did you see there in verses 10 and 11? Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. How can we get ready? Not just for tomorrow. If we're not prepared for tomorrow, it'll be okay. But if we're not prepared for this day, how can we Get ready. Well, thankfully, we're told. Did you notice we, we skipped verse 5? We aren't left to guess. Paul tells us right at the very beginning of our text in verse 5, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Let me say it a couple of different ways. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, or in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So what, what is this mindset? What is this attitude of Christ Jesus that Paul's talking about? Well, let's just briefly review in case you tuned out. I'm here to help. Though Christ was entitled to heaven's comforts and praise forever, 
And ever as God, as the creator, he didn't seize his rights. He didn't exploit them. He emptied himself. He came to serve, not to be served. He humbled himself fully and truly. He obeyed his father even when it meant submitting to the point of death, not just any death, death on a cross and suffering as the suffering servant under God's righteous wrath for us. You know, even just consider as Jesus was mocked on the cross and doubted as the Messiah, he didn't insist on having the last word on that day. He entrusted himself to his faithful father's will, even when it came at such a cost. So this is a little bit of the attitude of Christ Jesus. If we see anything in the life of Jesus, we see that he is humble of heart. He is gentle and lowly, never proud, never arrogant, never insisting on his own way, never seeking to get, always giving to his very life. And how did Jesus do this? Was he like, well, this is, I guess I signed up for this, so here we go. No. The most humble man who ever lived was the most joyful man who ever lived and still is. He did not obey the Father begrudgingly. He didn't complain. He was bursting with joy. He loved to do his Father's will. He loved to serve others. And here's the good news. If you are in Christ, he's given you this mindset. You have this attitude. You have this mind. He has given it to you. If you have humbled yourself, if you have come to an end of yourself and trusted in Christ, this is the gift that he has given you. Merry Christmas. You have the mind of Christ. If you are a Christian, you are, by very definition, humble. So Paul tells the church in Philippi, and he tells us today, live it out in your relationships with y'all, with one another. Live like that. Take that mind that he's given you, practice it. This means it should be our joy to apologize. What an opportunity to recognize our need of a Savior and to take responsibility for something that we have done, whether intentionally or unintentionally, and ask that and empty ourselves for the sake of a brother or sister or a friend or family member, not hold on to our pride but to empty ourselves so that we might be filled with Christ, experience that filling of Christ by his spirit. It should be our joy to go before the foot of the cross and recognize that we are wrong. And yet, if we're honest, we all hate to apologize. We can hate it. We can hate it because we are still proud. It should be our joy. It's our joy to serve. It's our joy to give. It's our joy to empty ourselves for one another because of all that we have in Christ. If this is who Christ is for us, how can we not give? How can we not, when, when we're criticized or rebuked, say, you don't even know the half of it, and I'm forgiven. I have the mind of Christ. 
And I'm living in this tension of the already and not yet. And that brings us to just because heaven has come to earth in the person of Christ doesn't mean that we're in heaven already. We, we're, we know, we know. Uh, living humbly with one another in the church doesn't mean that we'll never, there'll never be sin and hypocrisy in the church. You know, many claim to, as I mentioned earlier, claim to know Christ, but their attitudes betray otherwise consistently over a period of time. Um, and it's not... Jesus' call to be humble like Christ is not a calling to be a doormat. Just to be clear, Jesus called out religious hypocrites in his day. And we should also hold accountable those who abuse their power and sin against others. Uh, Being humble doesn't mean being a doormat. But we don't insist on finally having the the, the last word. At the end of the day, we entrust justice to our faithful God. So friends, do you believe that the joy of Christmas is found in humility? Because I think we've seen that the joy of Christmas is Christ, the humble one, And so, if you want to know the joy of Christ, adopt his mindset. It's not wrong to seek joy for yourself. It's good to seek joy for yourself. The scriptures just challenge us to seek that joy in a counterintuitive to our flesh wet, right? We seek joy normally by wanting to be served, by getting but Christ shows us a better way. So will you live today to express yourself, to serve yourself, to get? Or will you empty yourself for the good of others and for the glory of God the Father as Christ works in you and through you for his good pleasure? And to, to be honest, I mean, to be real here, until every knee bows and every tongue confesses, wars and conflicts will continue to go on. The church will still know conflict and strife. We may still think next time someone tramples on our Christmas, kind of like Uncle Frank, we still may have that attitude from time to time. But today we have seen that Christ has shown us a better way, a more joyful way than judging others. A more joyful way than assuming the worst of others' intentions. A more joyful way than seeking to even hurt others for the sake of lifting ourselves up. We have seen today that the joy of Christmas is found in humility. So will you respond to the humble king today? By giving yourself to the one who gave himself for you. Let's pray. Lord, we pray. We believe, help our unbelief. 
Help us to see our humble King and Savior with eyes of faith. Oh Lord, we know that you have brought many circumstances and people and things into our lives to to cause us to look to you. Lord, we pray that we would even see these, these hard things as a gift from your hand, that we might fully know the joy of you. And Lord, even as we mourn that this world is not how it should be, and our lives are not what they, we would want them to be, we'd ask that you would fill us with your humility, that we might know your joy. Lord, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Now receive this blessing from God's word. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Merry Christmas.